Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. I'm your host, Steve Kramer of Kramer Basketball, and thanks for checking out this deep dive episode on the pack line defense with Southern Indiana assistant coach John Spruance. Before we get into our interview, we'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Richardson Automotive of Standish and Gladwin, serving mid-Michigan in the thumb with their big three automotive needs. They have a wide range of products from Chevy, Buick, Ford, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, and Ram. They also have a large selection of pre-owned vehicles. With one of the largest selections of trucks in the state, they are sure to fit your needs. Standish and Gladwin, our truck country, stop in and see them today. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, they will get you right. When I lived in Ohio, I still went all the way up to Standish because I knew they were going to take care of me when it came to getting a new vehicle. Richardson Automotive of Standish and Gladwin, they are all about service. We'd like to welcome assistant coach at Southern Indiana, John Spruance to the Coach's Edge podcast and a special congratulations to being one of the top 50 most impactful assistant coaches in NCAA Division II. So, Coach, first off, congratulations. And secondly, thanks for being on the show. For sure. I really, uh, really appreciate it. It's been, uh, it's been a long time uh, since our days together, Steve. Um, you know, but it's always nice to, uh, to get recognition. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an honor and, and a privilege to, uh, to see the hard work finally paying off. It's always nice to be recognized. You know, there's a saying that says, you know, if you live uh, for everyone's praise, you'll die by their criticism. And I think that's an awesome, an awesome saying, but it sure is nice to be recognized when you're it putting is. in the work and it you're is. grinding. And Selfish, selfishly, it's always good, you know, when it, when it popped up and I started getting the text, um, you know, selfishly, it's nice to give yourself a little, uh, a little pat on the back, but you know, you know that there's, there's more things to accomplish and uh, bigger mountains to climb. And I think that's, you know, kind of the goal of looking forward is, is it's a nice recognition right now, but you know, there's more things I want to accomplish in this business and, you know, bigger, bigger fish to fry, so to speak. Well, you're, you're a grinder and uh, nobody, nobody deserves that recognition more than, more than you do. So Coaches, you know, we're, we're going to take a deep dive in pack line defense, which I'm excited to talk to you about. But before we get into that, can you give us a little bit of your, your coaching background and your history? For sure. Um, you know, as I mean, many people might, may not know, I came on my uh, official visit to Hope College and actually got to stay with Steve Kramer, um, you know, which was obviously a selling point of, uh, you know, coming there. But um you know, tried to, tried to do my best to play basketball as well as Steve, but uh, it didn't really work out as as well as uh, one would have hoped. But I actually um, – I knew I wanted to stay in the game. So when I actually, like, stopped, stopped playing basketball, I started coaching in Holland High School while still attending Hope College. Um, and that's kind of where I got my start. Um, and I was working there, got affiliated with the West Michigan Lakers, um, did that for a year or two, and ended up – um, was planning on going back. So I graduated from, from Hope in 2010, um, was planning to work for, for Chris Milis's dad um, at his factory. Um, and University of Hawaii called me in May, um, asked me if I'd be interested in a video coordinator position. I was said, yeah, you know, I, I don't have a ton of plans. 
Let's roll with it. Um, didn't hear anything back whole summer. Didn't hear anything from them. You know, so I started doing the, the AU stuff and was working in the factory and they actually called me back then. Um, the D1 official start date was October 15th, which was a Friday. They called me on Tuesday, uh, said if I wanted the job, I need to be in Hawaii by Friday. I was in Hawaii on Saturday with one bag. I had no place to live, uh, no car, uh, no nothing, but, but kind of figured it out. And that was kind of, you know, my entry to <clears throat> college basketball and, and the madness um, that it was. And, you know, back then Hawaii was in the whack and we were traveling from Hawaii to Louisiana Tech to Boise to Idaho to New Mexico State. And, you know, I was like, this, this ain't for me, man. I want to go back. I want to coach high school. I want to, you know, do the fundamental stuff and um, ended up, you know, basically bowing out after a year. Um, went back, started coaching again at Holland High School, West Michigan Lakers again, you know, had, had various sales jobs kind of on the side and knew that that wasn't really my calling because when two o'clock rolled around, I wanted to be in the gym um, working with my guys. Um, so I actually interviewed at Lewis University in 2013 for their GA spot um, and didn't end up getting it. And talked with some some mentors and, and some people and they just said you need to get your foot in the door and you need to be in this business and was fortunate enough where Lewis was outside the city of Chicago and so in in 2013 maybe against my my parents liking I uh, moved back into my parents house and I actually volunteered for my first two years at Lewis um, no pay did all the hours just like a full-time guy um, you know and I know everybody kind of has those stories of of getting in uh, to the business, but that ended up um, turning into three years as a full-time top assistant uh, at Lewis. Very successful, had, had some great players, was fortunate there, won a GOVC championship, um, you know, and then, so that was a, a total of five years at Lewis and, and just kind of felt like, you know, we had accomplished kind of everything that we could at Lewis and um, was fortunate enough to get on with Coach Stan Gerard at University of Indianapolis, which, uh, ironically is in the same league uh, that, that I'm actually currently in now um, and had two great years at UND um, and before the season got cut short this year I mean we were ranked as high as 11th in the country nationally we were going to host the Midwest region felt really good about our chances um, you know moving forward and then Stan ended up you know kind of kind of returning home he played for Bruce Pearl at um, Southern Indiana back in 95 won a national championship there facilities stuff that they have been being a public institution was too good to pass up um and you know i felt like it was going to be a pretty easy transition to um follow him there so um got hired there in may and you know we've just been trying to do the virtual stuff and we're excited to uh to get going so that's kind of the uh the crazy background of the the crazy business and how i got started yeah, I love hearing people's stories and, you know, how they got into coaching and, you know, there's, there's even a few, you know, surprises, some things that I, you know, I, I'd forgotten or didn't know about the Hawaii thing. Um, and then you've been in the Midwest in one of the toughest, if not the toughest conference uh, for, sure. for D2 and the, and the country, some absolute stud teams and players sure. uh, in that in that conference. And, uh, I think I spoke at a coaching clinic with Stan guard actually in, in Indiana a few, few years back. Awesome. Awesome guy. And, and a hoops legend, uh, especially a, in the state is. of Indiana. 
He is. Yeah. He is. And, you know, anytime you can get, you know, Bruce Pearl to, to be reaching out on, on his behalf. And, you know, Stan was a two-time Division II National Player of the Year. So he was no uh, – and he, he wasn't bad. Um, you know, but I think before we kind of dive in, Steve, I think, I think the biggest thing is, you know, for everybody listening out there is when you have to take a chance, you got to take a chance. And this isn't for everybody. The hours aren't for everybody. The travel's not for everybody. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough where I was in a position where I was only getting older, right? So I interviewed for the GA job in, in 2013, you know, and in my time at West Michigan Lakers, we had great players. Coriante DeBerry, who had originally committed to Detroit, ended up going to Cincinnati. But you end up meeting all these coaches, and, and the coach speak is, oh, you know, you're, you're on the list, man. You're on the list. You're on the list. And so now all of a sudden you're, you know, 26, 27, you're getting passed up for GA jobs by guys who have just finished. You can't always bank on your entry into this business because usually what happens, Steve, is, is you, you play, you finish playing, and, you know, if, you, if you're good enough, you can go play pro, and then you're going to come back and you're going to finish your schooling, get moved up into maybe a dobo or a low-level assistant, and that's kind of progression. And for me, it was not. It was like, okay, well, I don't have a – I didn't have a great playing pedigree. Um, I knew that this is what I wanted to do and I needed to get my foot in my door. So when I started in 2013, I started taking master's classes paid for by myself in 2014 because I knew, as crazy as it sounds now, basically a prerequisite for assistant coaching jobs is you need to have a master's degree. Um, and I didn't want to continue to say, okay, that's going to be a hindrance in me moving forward. So, you know, my advice to young guys is, yeah, you got to network and you got to put yourself out there. But at the same time, you know, these, these stories of these guys coming through and you're going to, you're going to take some lumps for some years, you know, and I think everybody talks about that, whether it's coach Cal or, or Chris Beard or, or whoever it is at the highest levels, if this is what you want to do, um, it's going to cost you, you know, blood, sweat and tears and financially, um, you know, but I think that, delves into the passion because you do have to be a little bit you got to be a little insane to uh to want to do this and I think it shows in you know no money limited money traveling displacing family all those things go into it so that's kind of my advice for for young coaches before we dive into it oh, that's great that's great advice and you know with, with anything you you take the chance right because if if you don't take the chance, regardless of what happens when you do take the chance, but you don't take the chance, now you're just thinking and regretting, what if I would have sure. done that? What if I would have done that? So um, that's that's a lesson that we can all take away from it. So, all right, so getting into pack line, Coach, you have a lot of experience with this. Before we get into it, um, for those that want to learn more but may not know a ton about the pack line yet, you know, what and why – of the pack line, a, a general breakdown? You know, I think, I think the biggest thing, Steve, and I think across levels, right, whether it be, you know, high school, um, I mean, we can even go into the lower levels, right? There's a, there's a ton of people complaining that at the lower levels, too many people are teaching zone and not enough man-to-man principles. Um, I think that this is, is a system, it's a systematic approach to the game of basketball putting you in the right spots at all times where 
you know, I think a lot of people have the misconception where pack is, hey, we're just sitting back and we're sagging in and, and there's nothing. Well, you actually have to be pretty intelligent to be able to run and get guys in the spots at all times where you're not one over helping or you're not. And we can dive kind of more into that. Um, pack is a it's, it's a contained defense, but it's also extreme ball pressure, right? I think any defense that's being played, if you just sit back and you let that guy just size it up and, and you have a good passer, he's going to pick you apart. I've listened to enough stuff. Uh, Matt Woodley, who's, who's now at Drake, he compared the pack to letting Drew Brees and Tom Brady sit back in the, in the, in the pocket, right, with no pressure on them. They're going to pick you apart right? The key to the pack is extreme ball pressure, right? But at the same token of anything that we're talking about, if your guy can't guard the ball, whether you're a denial team, pack line, even in most zones, if you're getting blown by at the point of attack, it really doesn't matter what defense um, you're going to run. So I would say pack is going to get you in positions where you're already in help side, you're closing gaps. So as a defender who might be at the slot, the point, as he's trying to size up, he can't see those gaps. As it might be where if you're over on the wings and you're denying everything hardcore, the floor is way more space. We're trying to shrink the court. We're trying to make teams work for every single basket they can do. We're not going to give up uncontested shots, and we'll, we'll delve more into that um, as we go. But I think it – I think – we're going to be packed, right? Like when I was at Lewis, we were packed. When my, my second year at Indy, I had to convince Stan to, to get out of denial because we were just giving up a ton of points. Um, I think when you talk about help side and you talk about position, you can always ramp that up. You can talk to your players about ramping up pressure and getting up and picking up at an influence point because we would add in press and all that stuff. But I think, especially at the lower levels, you're preaching from an early age, hey, these are the spots that you need to get into. This is where help side is. This is where midline is. This is where you need to be within the pack because you do. The pack is, is what it says, right? The one guy at the top needs to know that if I'm in the gap to his left, I'm there and I have his help. I need to know that the guy behind me is going to backside stunt and allow me some time to recover. So, I mean, for us, it's just, it's a no brainer, but I think the misconception is that, you're just kind of sitting back in the pain and you're allowing all this stuff. And it's really not what it is. It's a lot more intricate from even when, you know, you can go back into to Dick Bennett VHS in, in the 1970s and, and really go into it. And it's really expanded into because the game has changed so much, right? Like now it's all ball screen and you're trying to tag, recover back. And um, I just think it's, it's a, it's a systematic, it's a fundamental based approach to the game from a defensive end, right? These are the places you need to be in all the time. The same thing when you go into your jump shot, this is your mechanics, one, two, whatever you want to do. It is a fundamental approach. This is where you need to be at all times, right? And it's always going to change. But in the heat of the battle, when it's two minutes left in the game and the score is 80-80, what are you going to fall back on? And if you're a running gun and up the line and you're you're crazy and doing all that and pressing well there isn't a lot of and I don't want to speak ill of people that are pressing and doing all that there's not a ton of structure to what is going on in a run and jump up the line doing all that two minutes left 
I need my guys to go back and say, okay, hey, we're tired, but this is where we've ingrained in their brain. These are the spots I need to be in. This is what I need to do. If this guy's here, this is what we're doing off ball screen. And it's the same thing as running through your motion-based offense. It's the same exact thing from a defensive standpoint. So we'll get dig into more of the ball screens because, as you said, there's so many teams using ball screens right now. Uh, so basically, you got to be able to guard the ball, and, and everybody needs to be on the same page. So with that said, you talked about the, some of the fundamentals of, of the defense. What are the specific rules that you have for the pack line? For sure. I mean, for us, I mean, and I know that everybody out there in, in the podcast world can't see, I mean, but we'll give, we'll give our guys a sheet that basically breaks down not only our pack line principles, what, what you should be doing on the ball, what you should be doing on the pass, on drives, off ball, closeouts, post defense, and it's posted everywhere, right? Um, kind of going back just a little bit, Steve, like when we made the tr- transition at UND from kind of more up the line, a more aggressive athletic team, right? And I don't want to say that we weren't athletic, but why did we make the change at UND as opposed to, you know, what we did? And a lot of it for coaches that are looking whether or not to, hey, am I a pack line guy? Am I this? Right? The misconception is, okay, if you don't have an athletic team, right, you should pack it in. Okay, well, not all the time. But pack line can be a kind of equalizer. If you are going up against a more athletic team, you do need more guys and help, right? If I'm guarding you up top, I know you're going to blow by me, right? And I know that. So if I don't have guys in gaps, well, we're not going to be very good. So we started looking at it, you know, from – and young coaches, if, if you're going to bring things to your boss and you want to change them, you need to look at it from an analytical standpoint. you got to look at it from a standpoint, is this going to help us win more games? Is this going to help us beat the best teams in our league? Right? So does this system help you win? Okay? And great defensive teams, you know, Steve, defense can travel. Right. And if you're relying on a fundamental defense, you can miss shots. Right. Okay. But if we're going to guard hard and this is what we're going to do, right. We're going to limit teams to 40%. We're going to kill them on the defensive glass. Right. We're not going to turn the ball over. Okay. Well, if we only shoot 30%, right. We need to win more possessions than the other team. We need to get better shots offensively than the shots that we're giving up defensively. So, it kind of came down to a thing for us. It's like, okay, we were getting just blown by my first year at UND, right? And something we look at, and I know a lot of coaches do different things, and they look at conversion rates, rebounding rates. I just looked at it simply as points per possession of what we were giving up. So my first year at UND, we gave up 0.947 points per possession, which was 77 points per game, okay? For us, we feel like, if you go into Bellarmine, who's ranked, you know, number one or top five in the country all the time, you go to Drury, you're on the road. We felt like if you could score 70 points, you should be able to win that game, right? Now, it just so happens that Stan has never had a problem coaching offense, so we've been scoring at a high rate. But at the end of the day, in those trench games, when it's tied and it's possession game, okay, we weren't doing a good enough job giving up 77 points. Okay, so now you fast forward it to this year, ranked as high as 11th in the country, host in the region, 
we gave up 0.92 points per possession, which was 71 points per game, right? So we limited teams' possessions, right? Because when you start going pack, you're getting back, you're limiting fast breaks, and we'll dive into that more. But if you just look at it from points per game standpoint, we were giving up six less points, right? Which 71 is kind of that thing where we're saying, if we can score 70, right, we're going to be in position to to win games, you know? And it, it was hard. It was a hard adjustment for everybody. Um, but like I said, I think when you look at that and then you look at the records and, and what we did this year, yeah, did it take buy-in from the players? 100%, 100%. Because if those guys don't want to guard, it don't matter, right? It doesn't matter. Everybody's got to be on the same page. And, yeah. and also, like you said, the coaching staff and, you know, the proof is in the pudding as far as, you know, is it paying off for you guys? The answer is, the answer is yes. Yeah. And as you said, defense travels. You have the bad shooting night. Things don't seem to quite be going right. Can you rely on your defense? Right. Every great team can say, yeah, we can, we can rely on our defense. So right. with, with the pack line, so much of that is the help. I mean, that's what everybody's talking about so much is, is the help. Can you explain the difference between being in help compared to going to help for sure and i think i think i heard it i think best from chris mack right and you know like you know i'm not a guru um by any means of of what is going on but basically if you're already in the gap chris mack says your positioning is your help right as opposed to a team that is up the line and denying right so if I'm denying on the wing and you're driving from middle, okay, and I'm denying and you beat your defender coming down, I have to go from basically denying to help, right? So that's one movement. I'm going from, and people talk about inside and outside of the pack. I'm going from outside the pack, trying to come inside the pack to then go back outside, right? Because a good player like yourself, you're going to take one or two dribbles. You see that defender coming over, commit, drive and kick. The easiest, the easiest thing in the game. So we're talking about you're going from denying to helping to then trying to close out to a good shooter, right? So we're talking about multiple movements as opposed to if I'm already in that gap when you're coming downhill, right? And we talk a lot about perception is reality. If you're standing in that gap and you're looking – you know, super not engaged, right? A good player can pick up on that. You're going, okay, this dude's just standing there. It doesn't matter. Um, you got to be engaged. You got to be in that gap. You got to be bouncing around. But I'm already there. So now I'm talking about one movement, right? So I'm in my gap. I'm there. You go to kick. Now I'm going just to a recover, right? I'm going just to close out. I'm not trying to go denial, uh, help, then go back to the recover. And I think you're trying to always limit help and recover. You should always just be in help. You should always be in help. And your position is always going to change, right, no matter where the ball is. Um, but you always need to be in a help position. And that's where I think people mis misconstrued it, where you're saying, okay, if I'm in help, right, you're kind of just sitting back in there, right? Well, if my guy cuts to the corner and he was on the wing, my gap is ever-changing. Ever right? We want to be closer to the ball than we are to the man. 
but at the same time, we need to be active. We're moving in there. Um, it just, you can't, like I said, Chris Mack using the term of pack, you can't go from out to in to back out to recover, right? Because now if I'm late on that closeout, now a guy behind me, he has the backside stun, and now we're in rotations, and that's the last thing you want to do in pack, right? You that's one of the big things about the pack is, sure. is if you're doing it right, there's not this extra rotation that so many teams get right. in trouble with against teams that can really be able to, you know, to drive, to kick, right. to swing. Any good team that gets the defense rotating around, they're going to get a high percentage, high percentage shot. Can you like, talk a little bit about – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I think like – and like I said, I, I really like the Chris Mack terminology in that. But like you're basically just trying to eliminate getting to help and then going to recover. You already want to be in help. So then all you have to do is potentially recover, right, and contest a shot instead of doing kind of the multiple – Things. And you'll hear a lot when guys talk about pack line, your positioning is your help at all times, at all times, because we know guys are too good. If you're late in that gap, that guy's getting to the basket. If you overcommit and overhelp, it's an easy kick out three. And I mean, you know how the game is now. It's, it's layups and it's threes, especially at the higher level. And you just want to try to eliminate that as much as possible. So let's talk about that positioning real quick um, to try to get some visualization. Explain positions of where we are within the pack line. Let's say, you know, if the basketball is up top and you got two players, you know, around the wing, maybe it's five out, maybe you have some sure. down in the corner. I mean, where are some of those spots within the, the gap in the pack line that you need your players in? So basically, like, in the pack, whoever has the ball, you're, you're outside the pack, right? That's when we talk about that extreme ball pressure. You want to be out there making it hard see the court really do anything we're, we're causing havoc because you know the guys behind you right are in that gap and if we're talking just like a, a, a simple right guy at the top two wings two guys in the corner right we use the terminology instead of the pack line which is we use the term fence okay and the fence puts it in kind of the the terminology of right the paint is your house right? The pack is the same, but we always want two feet on the fence. So technically, we're probably a little bit lower than what Tony Bennett and those guys do, right? Because the pack is, it's not too far off the three-point line. We've found that the footwork uh, and the footing that you guys can do is that's how your stance should be in that gap, right? So if the ball is up top, we're going to have two guys right at elbow coverage right off the bat right? Because we got two wings on the side. We got two elbow coverage. And so the key, the key is that you know, when we're in the pack line, in that gap off the ball, we're angling towards the player we're guarding. We're not yeah, opened because, up. Right. You always want to be able, if, if, if I get beat and I'm guarding ball, right, and, and, and that guy who's on the wing, he's now in help. I need to be in a position where I can help inside shoulder, inside hand. I don't want to lunge to take myself out of position, but I need to be, right, if I'm too squared, there's no way that I can see my guy on the wing and then make a closeout, right? So now I'm adding a guy who has a backside stun and cause a rotation. I want to be not totally closed stance, but if you look at it, and like I said, with a fence, if we're talking about a, and maybe when we do this, we can post a picture of it kind of and and give them that visualization. If you have feet on the fence, you're never going to be too low. 
You're never going to be too open. You're never going to be too closed. We're going to be a little on the fence going down to the perimeter corner three, and we're going to be a little of the, the vertical of the um, free throw line, right? We're going to be perpendicular to, to that. Um, no, that makes sense. But we, we've just kind of found that easier. And because the big thing about the pack is that we all know what's going to happen in games, Steve. There's going to be slippage, right? So if anything, when you're starting to teach, you almost want to teach it lower, right? Because in the game, right, they're going to creep out a little bit, right? So you want to start it kind of lower and work your way out. And we've just found it's easier for guys' footwork and positioning. But then at the same aspect, going back to your original question, the guys, if we're in a simple five out, these guys who are back here need to be in a position where if he gets beat going downhill and he has to stay in this gap to help, he needs to be not too low, but also not too high, because if he gets too high, what's going to happen? He's going to get beat back door. But he needs to be in a position where he can stunt at this wing. I'm trying to do this reverse. I'm struggling. He needs to be able to stunt at wing right here and then still be able to recover the corner guy to allow whoever this is right here and help to recover. So basically, if ball's up top, we're going to have two guys on the wings. And then we're not going to have them as low as two blocks because that's probably too far, right? But kind of between that 15 to 10-foot range, they're going to be kind of back in there. But they got to be active and live, right? Because mm -hmm. if it is a quick swing, they at least need to be able to stunt, recover back to their guy, and allow time for that other defender to recover out to the wing. Right. And if the ball is that far up top and you have players in the post or all the way down in the corners, that should be enough time for them to get in a – a closeout anyway uh, sure. to be to be in that that position a huge a huge aspect of you need effort right and and that's going back to the original thing people think pack people think nah if you blow by me I need to know that this guy right here has my back over my shoulder on the left on the left elbow right but he also needs to know that somebody's going to stunt and allow him time to recover back there it's all about multiple effort plays because eventually it is going to break down Right. And we will get into rotations, you know, and I think I think Tony Bennett probably said it less. Like when it comes to teaching, I'm not big on, hey, this is your stance need to be like this, this turn this way open. No, man, you got to be in help. And then you need to get back to your guy and be able to break down and guard. Because the more things that I put in a player's head in a certain situation, right, what's he going to do? It's no longer habit. It's no longer habitual. He's going, oh, my gosh, I, my, my right foot needs to be higher up than my left foot and inside handed. Okay, well, that, that guy's not going to think about it in term of uh, Matt Woodley talks about all the time, like lions and cheetahs, right? They just go out and do it. It's instinct, right? Well, now if you start adding all this stuff and all these other things, no, dude, like at the end of the day, you need to be in help. And then if the ball swings out to your guy, you need to close out, break down, guard somebody and keep them out of pain. I love that. I'm a big detail-oriented kind of guy, but at the same time, and especially having been a, a player and a coach, when you're doing things well, you're in a flow, right? Yeah. You're not thinking about anything. You're just doing it. And so right. um, you can't overload a player so much that by the time they get into the game, they're not thinking about the game anymore. They're thinking about, oh, is my foot supposed to be here? Am, is my, am I, you know, should I be – two steps back over this way. If you got them thinking like that, you've already lost. <laughs> you're all you're already ready way behind, which which 
kind of leads us into our next question really well of being able to simplify things through the terminology that we do decide to use with our players to teach them. So what are some of the, what's some of the terminology that you use with your players? For sure. I mean, I think, I think the three biggest things that we do are gaps, right? So if you have the ball at the point and I'm guarding you and there's a guy on the wing, the gap is the space, right? If I'm, if I'm a help side defender guarding on the wing, I need to be in that gap right? That is a driving lane for you. I need to be in that gap. I need to be closer to the ball than my man. I need to be in a position. And that's why we like the fence because your footwork almost, you can see both, right? You're in a position where you can stunt with your inside hand, but you can see if your man leaves and is going. So we talk about gaps. We talk about stunts a lot, right? Because on that drive and kick, okay, or even if you're coming downhill, there's a point and I don't know if it's something that you teach or it's just an innate ability as a basketball player. You can tell, Steve, if I'm going downhill and you're in help side, you can see it, right, where I'm about to pick that ball up and make the pass, right? So that might just be a, a simple shoulder fake from you going right there. That guy picks the dribble up, you're no longer in gap, right? You don't have to. You're closing out to your guy. You've done your job. You were in help. You've made that guy pick the dribble up. You're bouncing back. So we talk about stunts a ton, and especially when we start going into ball screen stuff, backside stunts are essential because you're going to get a throwback to a pick-and-pop four. That guy who's on the midline, you at least have to be coming up there a high hand and giving the defender who had just kind of maybe dragged that screen out or got caught in help, you have to allow him time to recover and close out. So we talk a ton about stunts. Um, and then the biggest, the other biggest thing is jump and swipe. And that's a Chris Mack thing. So if I'm guarding you, Steve, and you pass the ball to the wing, we want you to jump to the ball and swipe immediately. And it's a violent thing. And Chris Mack talks about it in his, you know, championship production DVDs where we want that to be, if I throw the ball to the wing and that's coming to you and you catch it and you rip right away coming back middle, well, the defender at the top, you need to jump and swipe in such a way where if he puts that ball, we're closing that gap right off the bat, right? Where it's not, you need to get from point A, which was you guarding the ball, right? The ball's now been swung to the wing. You need to get to your gap as soon as possible. Soon as possible. Flight to the ball if you can, right? And we want you to violently swipe, jump and swipe, get your hand over there, because if he does put it on the deck, hey, maybe we can get a little deflection going right there. So we talk about that a ton. Um, we talk about seeking leverage on our closeouts because a big thing of the pack is we don't want to give up baseline. Um, so if I'm in help and I'm at the elbow, right, and you go to drive and I'm closing out just to the wing, well, I can't take a straight line at that guy because what's he going to do? If I go straight line at him from the elbow at a guy in the wing. Yeah, he's got a straight line drive. Right on the baseline. Yep. So when we talk about seeking leverage, we almost want to take an angle to square him back up so that we can now have our chest and our butt. We always want to be square. We're not really – when we say we don't want to give up baseline, well, we're not giving up the middle. We want to be totally square, right? I want the basket right behind me. My butt should be in between the player and the basket squared up. So I need to take an angle 
when I'm going from help to a closeout, and we call it seeking leverage or rounding off, however um, we kind of talk about it. And then we talk a lot about the fence just because that's kind of our terminology. Um, and then with it being the fence, we call the paint our house, right? So we're all on the fence. We don't want to let anybody inside our house, which is a paint touch. Um, you know, but a, a lot of the stuff kind of boils down to when we, when we start teaching, getting, I would say the biggest thing is being in gaps and jumping and swiping. Because if I'm guarding ball and I'm guarding you at the top, Steve, and you pass to the wing, and if I don't jump and swipe to get to my gap, I've left that guy hanging. I've left him hanging, right? And if we're going to give up drives through the elbows or baseline, it doesn't matter for pack or, or whatever, they need to know because, as you know, Steve, especially when you go to the higher levels, dudes are too good, right? I've said for a while in recruiting guards especially, if you aren't good enough to beat a guy one-on-one -on -one off the dribble, you can't play at the higher levels of college basketball, right? And now we start adding into the offensive stuff. If you can't beat a guy off three dribbles at the higher level, you can't play, right? So if I'm telling guards that I'm recruiting that, well, there are not many people in the country then who are true, true shutdown dudes, right? Javon Carter at, at West Virginia, shutdown defender. Unbelievable. Well, there aren't too many Javons out there. There aren't, right? So we need to be in help position to help somebody deal with a guy who's trying to ISO on the wing. And I think jump and swipe and being in gaps is, is probably the biggest thing that we're trying to teach right off the bat when we talk about pack line. That's great stuff. And, and for the coaches that are listening, when he's talking about the fence, I'll just try to give you a little more visualization. You know, if you have the, the lane, the free throw line, instead of that traditional kind of arc that you see uh, used inside the three-point line with most pack line teams, what Coach Spruance drew up was three lines. And one line was, was slightly above the free throw line, extended outside the lane line. And then it took a sharp angle going all the way down to the corner three-point line. Is that right, Coach? Yeah. And, and, and realistically, especially I would say for lower levels, I think that's fine. For higher levels, you might need to extend that. And I'll just – I'll show you just quick, Steve. But you could easily extend that all the way out to be – uh, you know, going to like your actual corner corner. If you feel like, right, what's everybody doing now? They're shooting three. So you don't want to be too low. We always start our guys lower because we know in games there's going to be slippage and they're going to raise above that um, to begin with. So for us, instead of being inside the pack, we want our guys' heels on that fence. Okay. And does that, does that also help with it seems like so many teams are hunting down the corner three. Is that, would that – seems like it would also help uh, contest that a little bit easier. For sure, because that guy and, – and like I said, you don't want – if they're just in a traditional – let's just say they're in a traditional five out, right? And it's basically just a one, two, two, right? Point, wing, corners. If I'm guarding that guy in the corner, I can't anticipate being too high to help my defender. You don't want to overhelp when you don't have to. Because if you get too high, now you're susceptible easily – to a back door, right? So we teach our guys butt to baseline from corner. Um, but like I said, I mean, you got to be able to move and get to positions, um, you know, but it basically all starts, Steve, at, at the point of attack, right? 
So if you have the ball at the point and I'm guarding you and you blow by me, now X2 defender who's guarding the guy in the left wing, he has to stay longer, right? Now that forces the guy who's guarding the guy in the left corner to come up and stunt. Now we are susceptible to backside three, right? Corner mm-hmm. three. Um, I felt like our positioning for guys, um, corner threes, as long as we were in decent rotations and not in scramble. And like I said, we're, you're going to be in scramble, right? You, you, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, but I felt like our positioning for our guys on the low, you know, because, and you know too, Steve, not a ton of guys are doing traditional, at least at our level um, of, of D2, are not doing traditional five outs. There's going to be a post down there kind of mucking some stuff up. Um, and if that is the case, right, so let's say you're kind of left side, I'm guarding you, left side corner post is opposite. We're never going to leave that strong side corner. If even if you beat me downhill, that's not your gap. We're going to slide X5 over, and then we're going to try to drop a guard down there to take that five who's on the block. That was, that's um, your answer in the question that I was curious of, is if the basketball is on the wing, you got one in the corner, and you have that post, like you, you said, the opposite, you know, what that responsibility is for that defender in the gap on the baseline side. So you're, you're going to start kind of being in that gap, right? So if you're on left – left wing or let's just say left slot, right? And there's a guy in left corner. Well, we want you to be halfway up, right? We want you to still be in that gap. As he starts coming downhill, you need to fake and fade, get your butt to the baseline so you can't get beat back door. The easiest shot in the game is a drive and kick three to the corner, right? We see it all the time. That's not going to be your responsibility, at least for us, um, to try to stop that. We're going to slide X5 away from opposite block. And then we need guards to rotate, and it would probably be your opposite corner guy, right corner, opposite of ball, needs to be in a position because if ball's on the left side, he should almost be midline anyways. He should almost be top foot free inside X, uh, inside of their five man if X5 goes in what we call a fire situation, stop ball. Okay. Right? And okay. you're kind of zoned up, zoned up on the backside, if that makes sense. And no, this is needs, good like, stuff. Yeah, this is good stuff. anybody needs anything – drawn up if they have questions after this i'm more than happy to to draw things up because yeah i'll make sure to put your contact information um at the at the show notes for the podcast no doubt if anybody has any any questions and i think that's kind of a common misconception with people that you know maybe don't study the pack line as much as they think oh you're just giving them middle you're giving, you're not giving them middle Right. You wanna, you're just taking away the baseline. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, really, the biggest thing, Steve, is that if you watch enough basketball, baseline drives cause rotation every time. Every time. If you get beat baseline, and kind of just what we were talking about, right? If you get beat almost on that two side with a three overload on the other, we're going to be in rotation because X5 is going to have to come over and step up and we're in rotation. Same thing if you get beat baseline drive. X5 is going to have to come over, and now we're in rotation. Um, so the biggest thing is you just – if you get beat straight line drives, pack denial, you're, you're going to give up layups. You're going to give up wide open shots because you're always going to be in rotation. I think the biggest thing, we're not, we're not forcing, right? I'm not going to say I'm not opened up in this position, allowing you to just drive right in the middle because guys at higher levels, if you open up that much – you're done. You're cooked. 
you're cooked, right? Mm -hmm. We want to be square, but between the basket and your man, right? We're not really saying we're influenced. We want to be squared up. But at the same time, if he goes to take that dribble to the baseline, you got to big step and cut him off and try to limit rotations as much as possible. So, so much with the, with the pack line is, you know, it's, it's a, it's like a lifestyle, right? I mean, you gotta, you gotta embrace it and get everybody to, to buy in so that you can really control certain aspects of the game, which, you know, we'll see with a Virginia, right? No matter what they're playing at their pace, what are the things that you try to control within the game with the pack line defense? For sure. I mean, I think, I think right off the bat, I mean, I think you hit, hit the nail on the head, Steve, of, I mean, you got to get guys to buy into, we are all moving as a unit, right? We're all in gaps. It's all ever changing. If I'm in help, you need to backside stunt. So if one guy's a weak link in that, it's going to get exploited, right? And, and like going back to Dick Bennett, every possession has its own life. It does, right? And you need to win more possessions than the other team. So now when you start talking about pack and falling back on fundamentals, you're hoping that you're ingraining habits into their mind that is going to allow them to win more possessions. And I can even remember, and I'll get more into kind of the details, I remember when Shannon Brown was at Michigan State, you know, and, and Izzo's nuts. Izzo's crazy, right? But I can still remember this day, Izzo on TV saying to Shannon Brown with a, a couple more choice words, you need to defend like your life depends on it, right? And that's, that's what we do. So everybody needs to buy into this multiple effort, all this stuff going all at once, right? We want, we want all of our players to be on the fence, right, or, or inside the pack besides the guy guarding the ball. We want extreme ball pressure. We feel like we can set tempo, right, and we're not – Virginia's a grind. That's not how we play offense. We want to – let our defense kind of lead us into we do we want to own the boards and we want to get out and run so we feel like we can set the tempo with extreme ball pressure so we're still going to pick up you know right at right at half court or the volleyball line to try to you know especially for us use some shot clock so they can't get into their stuff um a big controllable is is no uncontested shots you have to be with shooters when they catch the ball Right, we are trying to take away. We are making teams work for every single thing that they get. Right, all the side to side stuff. If they want to pass the ball around the perimeter. That's perfectly fine. But we're going to contest, and we're going to contest every shot. We want to get contested threes, contested mid range. We're not going to give up layups. Um, I mean, that's more things that that we kind of want to control. We want to limit to one shot. We're not going to give up second chance because if we force you into a super tough contested shot with seven, six seconds on the shot clock. They get an offensive rebound and a layup. It kills you. It kills momentum. It kills spirit, right? It kills me as a coach because I'm on the sideline losing my mind. Um, it's, it's critical that we win the battle of the boards, right? And we try to stress to our guys, you're never going to be perfect, right? I, I can watch tape and I, I can drive myself insane. You're not going to be perfect. But you want to know what covers up a whole lot of mistakes? multiple effort plays, right? And flying around, um, you know, just just flying around with, with an ill will of, of anything. You know, we want our guys to be worn out on, on defense as much as they are on offense. I think um, paint touches is something that, that we'll chart. Um, 
you know, and, and really try to try to limit guys getting out of there. And then, um, you know, I think the other thing that's easily chartable and especially at the college game is if you talk about efficiency points, right, and, and highest efficiency in points per possession or points per shot, catch and shoot threes, right, rhythm threes, layups, and free throws. So we want to defend without fouling. We don't want to give them, if we're trying to make them earn everything and contesting shots, limiting to one, well, we don't want to give them possessions where we're giving them free points, you know. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, those are kind of like the principles on the ball. We talked about the extreme ball pressure, butt between your man and the rim, active hands, you know, all the stuff that that you're basically preaching with, with other defense. Off the ball, you're being in the gap, you're on the fence. Two, two passes away, we're going to be help side. You know, if you can be on midline. Um, closing out is a – it's a tough thing that a lot of people aren't sure about because a lot of people have always said, right, you're going to come out, you're going to throw your two hands up in the air, your butt's low. Well, realistically, if I'm throwing two hands up over my head, what's probably going to happen? My butt's going to come up. Mm-hmm. It's – we're just like, hey – you got to get out there and you got to try to try to break down and defend. No, this is good. And I want to get into, I want to get into some of that kind of technique or at least some of your thoughts for sure uh, as well. Cause I think that's a really big point of, of emphasis. Probably a lot of coaches are curious as well, but right. you you talked about the no uncontested shots owning the defensive glass. You're, you're counting the paint touches. You want to limit your fouls. Thank you for checking out part one of our deep dive into the pack line defense with Southern Indiana's John Spruance. If you found it beneficial, be sure to share it out with somebody else. Leaving a positive rating and review would go a really long way as we continue to grow this podcast and be on the lookout for part two coming up later this week. Thanks again and get after today.